Hey, let's have a devotion. In Matthew chapter 22, there's a showdown. Uh, it's pretty one-sided though. The Sadducees, who don't believe in the resurrection, they don't believe in angels either, by the way. They've come to Jesus with what they think is like this perfectly crafted riddle that he just can't get out of. And they quote from Deuteronomy 25, the basis for leveret marriage, as we studied in the book of Ruth. Jesus' response is going to come from full and direct authority as the word, but it's also going to call out the underlying presuppositional flaws in what the Sadducees were doing. They didn't believe in the very platform upon which their accusations were being made. And so they were inauthentic and logically inconsistent in, the, in and of themselves. Here's Jesus' response in verse 29. Jesus answered them, You are mistaken because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Now concerning the resurrection of the dead, haven't you read what was spoken to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. So Jesus just quoted God's righteous proclamation of himself, Exodus 3, verse 6, and verses 15 and 16, when he spoke to Moses through the burning bush, I am the God of Abraham. The I am statement is one thing in and of itself. We can talk about that at great length. What Jesus is pointing at here is the I am currently, present tense, Abraham's God. Not I was Abraham's God, I am the God of Abraham, meaning Abraham still exists. So he's speaking about Abraham's existence in eternity future. So that they would come to him and ask a question about the resurrection, not believing in the resurrection themselves, shows that they were insincere. They just wanted to set a trap for Jesus. Don't take bait, Christians. If people ask you questions that they don't really want the answer to, don't play the game. Look at Jesus' methodology. This is, this is obviously presuppositional apologetics by the master. Looking at the ground beneath his accuser's feet. His interlocutors have come to him to ask him a question that they think is technical mumbo jumbo, but he's pointing out the fact that they don't even believe this presupposition. Moreover, if you're going to adhere to the law of Moses, you're going to believe Exodus 6. You're going to believe as well, even in, say, you know, Isaiah, uh, Isaiah's prophecy for a coming resurrection. Or if you're, going to, if you're going to deny that Isaiah was a legitimate prophet, if you're going to deny uh, what Daniel prophesied, what, what Deuteronomy, uh, what, what Deuteronomy, uh, Daniel would prophesy about the coming resurrection, if you're going to ask questions like these, um, then you're going to have to forsake your own disbelief. So he speaks directly to their own hypocrisy. You don't believe in the resurrection, but you're asking me questions about resurrection. You believe Exodus, good. Then you believe that God is currently the God of Abraham. He's not the God of the dead, but he's the God of the living. Verse 29 is a perfect and incredible accusation at the guys who had more credentials than anybody else on the planet. You are mistaken because you don't know the scriptures. To tell the Sadducees that they didn't know the scriptures. Members of the Sanhedrin the most educated and authoritative council in the Jewish world to tell them you don't know the scriptures 
That's really profound. May you not be a little Bible quiz ace whose heart is far from God. You're actually more condemned by all the scripture that you memorize and do not apply. You don't know the scriptures, said Jesus to the Sadducees. But what follows is equally important. You don't know the scriptures or the power of God. That was immense. To say the emperor wears no clothes. You guys wear regalia. You adorn yourselves with feigned authority, but you don't even know the scripture. If you knew the scripture, you would know what God said in, in, in Exodus 6. If you knew the scripture, you would believe what Isaiah prophesied about the resurrection. You would believe what Daniel prophesied about the resurrection. But you don't know the scripture and you don't know the power of God. It's like these are just words to you and it's not the word. And what follows in verse 30, for in the resurrection, they, meaning mankind, will neither marry nor are we given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. Angels are beings that exist outside of mortality as we know it, and so they have no need to procreate. And in a similar fashion, we get to heaven, that's also the nature of humankind post-resurrection. And the resur uh, for in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. So uh, the, 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 the most authoritative and the most widely accepted interpretation on this is that uh, our marriages are no longer binding in heaven. Um, there's not going to be infidelity in heaven because there's no procreation in heaven. The human race, the redeemed, the elect of God all exist in heaven with him forevermore and there's perfection. Uh, the, there's another interpretation as well. It means that there are no new marriages in heaven, meaning there's not going to be a new wedding day in heaven. There need, there need not be uh, another wedding. There need not be further procreation. So meaning they're not, they're not married in heaven as in there's no new marriage ceremonies. They're not given in marriage, meaning the man's not going to marry a woman. A woman's not going to be given by her father to be married to this man, uh, which means that any marriage that exists go into heaven, whatever has been, uh, whatever's been bound on earth is then bound in heaven, uh, as it were. This is, again, is a secondary interpretation that's wildly unpopular, but it's out there. And so it leads to follow, uh, further questions about the nature of heaven. Um, so we're going to, I know it's, I know what's on your mind. You think like, does that mean that there's no sex in heaven? Uh, does that mean that, does that mean then that, you know, uh, I'll still be best friends with my spouse in heaven? I've already told my wife, I've just decided we're going to stay married in heaven. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, I get it. But you know, you and I will, you and I will still, you and I will still carry on as we do just forevermore. <laughs> uh, that's what I've, that's what I've decided. I, my wife hasn't agreed to that. I might get to heaven. She's like, all right, leave me alone. We did our part. <laughs> but that's what I've decided in my heart is that my wife's going to be, uh, keep being my wife in heaven. Uh, but this is, this is the, the, the most prevalent authoritative teaching on this is that we become more like the angels. There's no more need for uh, the, the marriage covenant in the context of heaven. But part of me really wants to also believe that it's no new marriages in heaven. However, when we chase that rabbit trail, we miss the bigger picture of what's just happened here. The Sadducees set a trap for Jesus, citing leveret marriage. Jesus responded by calling them out for their own flawed presuppositions. You don't even believe in resurrection, but you're asking me a question about post-resurrection life. 
you claim to believe the law of God, but you disavow God's proclamation in the most basic sense that he is the I am, as in I am the God of Abraham. God is not the God of the living. Uh, God, God is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. And so he has just ripped apart the whole worldview of the Sadducees. That's actually the bigger picture here. The Sadducees' response, if they truly were sad, you see, I get it, aha. If they truly were Sadducees, if they truly were, in that sense, nihilistic, they ought to have walked away dismissively. Oh, okay, whatever, yeah, you got me. Anyway, I still don't believe, moving on, you know. Or they might have responded, okay, yeah, you're right, I guess I don't really believe God, you know, and then they would have just moved on with their atheistic lives. But what's going to follow, um, what's going to follow is actually a union of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. That these guys would team up shows just how much they really hate Jesus. Here's verse 34. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they came together. All right. And so we'll talk more about this. Uh, we'll talk more about this tomorrow. So the Sadducees just got utterly eviscerated in their whole worldview publicly. And now, instead of responding the way that you ought to, if you're going to be consistent with your own atheistic nihilism, as it were, the, the Sadducees were a paradox because they kind of claim to believe in God, but evidently they don't as Jesus confronts them here. Instead, they're going to respond with murderous hostility, and they're going to actually join forces with the Pharisees. For the first time since the Hasmonean dynasty, these two teams are going to get along, and it's for the most murderous and, and, and vile reason imaginable. However, in all of it, God's sovereign. Go back and revisit the content that we taught in our series, Reason for Hope. Feel free to use as well what's available to you. It's called The Table. We're currently, as of, as of the time of filming, uh, outlining and planning a new version of The Table. It's going to be called Big Questions, and it's designed more to be uh, accessible just to average Joe who has questions about God. The Table really was kind of designed around what I've seen God use in a systematic theology that works with militant atheists and the Holy Spirit draws upon their hearts and they give their lives to Christ. So these are resources that are at your disposal. Uh, Reason for Hope, all those sermon videos are here, all the curriculum is available. Uh, the Table, all those videos are live, all of that is available. You can even sign up if you wanted to start a series exactly like this. This is presuppositional apologetics. The same, hopefully, <laughs> the same philosophical underpinnings as what Jesus just practiced right here against the Sadducees. This is what we employ uh, with people who have big questions for God. And the Lord has used it to bear fruit. May He use it to bear fruit in your own evangelistic life. So learn from the Master. Learn from Jesus Himself. You may not have the authority to speak new scripture into existence, like the teaching about angels and marriage post-heaven and resurrection, but you do have scripture itself, and you do have the words of Jesus, and you do have that same philosophical approach to look at the ground beneath the feet of the one who is accusing God and to dismantle it. That's presuppositional apologetics.